Acts, Acts chapter 5, and uh, um, kind of a difficult subject. You know, we've been going through uh, the book of Acts on Sunday morning, and um, we had a, you know, I would say an encouraging message last Sunday about an encourager, that is Barnabas, uh, over in Acts chapter 4. He was, that was his nickname, his name was Joseph, but he was nicknamed Barnabas, and that simply meant the son of encouragement. And you know, we went through the book of Acts and we looked at every time Barnabas was mentioned in the book of Acts, we found that he was either helping a new believer, he was the one who took Paul by the hand and introduced him to the other believers when they didn't really want to have anything to do with Paul, they were afraid of him. And so Barnabas, every time you find him, he's standing up for somebody, he's helping somebody, he's giving a word of encouragement to somebody. Uh, And then we go to the very next chapter, chapter 5, and we encounter a difficult subject. Now, I want to first of all talk about the importance of this subject. It's Acts chapter 5 and verse number 1. We're going to talk about two people called Ananias and Sapphira. Ananias and Sapphira. And I'm just going to read the story, and then we're we're going to go back and talk about it in more detail. Now... Chapter 5, verse 1, it says, but let me first of all, let me give you a little background before I read that. Go back to chapter 4, and let's start in verse 32. Now, we read verse 36 last Sunday but about Barnabas, and he sold his property, he brought it to the church, and, and he gave it uh, to the church. But look in verse 32. It said, Now the multitude of those who believed were of one heart and one soul. Neither did anyone say that any of the things he possessed was his own, but they had all things in common. And with great power the apostles gave witness to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. Nor was there anyone among them who lacked. For all who were possessors of lands or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of the things that were sold and laid them at the apostles' feet, and they distributed to each as anyone had need. And then verse 36, we heard the story of, of Barnabas and Joseph, or Joseph, who was also named Barnabas by the apostles, which is translated son of encouragement. A Levi, the country of Cyprus, having land, sold it and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. Now, I wanted to read that because it's very important to understand the context of this situation with Ananias and Sapphira, because when we read what they did... Our first thought, well, let me say maybe my first thought, is you think, well, you know, my goodness, that's pretty harsh. I, I, I mean, what exact, was it really that bad? I mean, we, we know that God doesn't strike all liars dead because if they did, I'd be in a mess. I wouldn't have anybody to preach to. <laughs> I wondered if y'all were going to catch that one. But God doesn't strike all liars de- dead. Of course not. But he did strike Ananias and Sapphira dead. And I want to show you the context that it's more serious than it first meets the eye. You see, in verse 32, the Bible says that, that, or verse 33, verse 32, they were of one heart and one soul. Neither did anyone say that any of the things he possessed was his own, but they had all things in common. What they had done, they had gathered together and they had made a pact. They had made an agreement. They said, okay, listen... We're going to follow Christ. We're going all out for God. I mean, this was like a person who says, you know what, I'm going on the mission field. I'm selling my property. I'm selling my house. 
I'm called, I feel called to go to just go with God 100%, and I, I, I'm not going to own anything. I'm, I'm headed. You had a whole church like this. I mean, you had a whole group of people who said, you, you know what, we're just sold out to God. Here's what we feel led to do. They all got together, and they said, we're not going to own anything. We're all going to sell our property. We're going to put everything together, and, and we're, we're going to be one big mission for God. That that's all we're going to live and do is we're going to work for God. We're going to spread the gospel of Jesus Christ. As a matter of fact, we wonder, you know, we often read the book of Acts and we think, boy, they really turned the world upside down. Well, there was a reason. Yes, it was the power of the Holy Spirit, but you know, the Holy Spirit is a gentleman. He doesn't just barge in where he's not wanted, where he's not welcome. And these people had made their heart a receptive place for God's Spirit and they had proven their confession with their actions. You know, sometimes, you know, I mean, I mean, we'll sing songs all to Jesus. I surrender all to Him. I, I freely give. And, and uh, you know, a lot of us, I mean, we don't even give our time. You know, I mean, we don't serve God with our time. We don't serve God uh, with hardly anything we have, but yet we make a confession that we're going to give everything to God. Well, these people backed up their confession with their actions, and they said, listen, we're selling everything. Ananias and Sapphira, they made that same confession. They were part of this fellowship. And we have an example of Barnabas. He came, he sold everything he had, and he laid it at the apostles' feet. And then immediately, we find in chapter 5, verse 1, we have another picture. And let me just read the story to you. But a certain man named Ananias with Sapphira, his wife, sold a possession, and he kept back part of the proceeds his wife also being aware of it, and brought a certain part and laid it at the apostles' feet. But Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and keep back part of the price of the land for yourself? While it remained, was it not your own? And after it was sold, was it not in your own control? Why have you conceived this thing in your heart? You have not lied to men but to God. Then Ananias, hearing these words, fell down and breathed his last. So great fear came upon all those who heard these things. And the young men arose and wrapped him up, carried him out, and buried him. Now it was about three hours later when his wife came in, not knowing what had happened. And Peter answered her, Tell me whether you sold the land for so much. And she said, Yes, for so much. Then Peter said to her, How is it that you have agreed together to test the Spirit of the Lord? Look, the feet of those who have buried your husband are at the door, and they will carry you out. Then immediately she fell down at his feet and breathed her last, and the young men came in and found her dead, and carrying her out, buried her by her husband. So great fear came upon all the church and upon all who heard these sayings are these things. So here we have a picture of Ananias and Sapphira. They had lied to the Holy Spirit. Now, again, Acts chapter 5 verses 1 through 11 are, are not probably the most popular passages. Those of you that have your, your Bible, you underline, or you've got a little booklet that says God's promises, you know, for your every need. I challenge you to find Acts chapter 5 in that book. You know, it's not real encouraging, you know, to read Acts chapter 5, the first 12 verses where you got two folks who had outwardly accepted the gospel. They're part of the church. 
They're in the church. They had made a vow. We're, we're, we're going to, yeah, that's right. We think it's a great idea. We're going to sell out and, and we're going to go 100% with God. And, and we might argue, well, hey, at least they sold their land. They gave most of it. I mean, that's more than most people would do. I mean, come on, let's, let's give them a break here. I mean, they just kept back a little bit, you know. I mean, my goodness, what's going on here? You read this passage, and, and what does it say? Twice we read, and great fear came upon all. I, I'll just tell you, in our modern culture, in our modern society, we have lost our fear of God. Did you know that Proverbs says the beginning of wisdom is the fear of God? And you might say, well now, you know, I, I, I just don't think we ought to be scared of God. Well, I didn't say scared. I'm talking about fear. Now, my, my daddy's here, and uh, when my mother and daddy came in this morning, uh, I was just thinking, you know, my mother there, and, and I'm so big and, and uh, really fat. I know it. I'm, I'm a little, you know... By the way, did you know I had a picture with Ivanka Trump? Did anybody see that? <laughs> I didn't mention it last Sunday by mention of... Uh, but I thought I'd try to throw it in somewhere. I'd find a place where it fit. But the reason I think it fits there is because I put in the motto, I put in the... I had Loy and, and Ivanka Trump there, and I put, if you saw my Facebook page, I put two beautiful women, and I don't know how to take a selfie. I took it down, so my hog gel, my hog gel, you know, showed there, and... And you know, when you look at a picture, I don't care who's in it, you look at who first. You. You know, I think, my Lord, am I that big? You know, I mean, so I put in there two beautiful women and one old double chin fat man. <laughs> but I thought about how big I was and how, how small my mother is, and I, I pointed out to someone, I said, Can you believe she used to tote me around? You know, and, and, and my dad is here, and I can remember when I was a kid. Uh, you know, I, I love my daddy and I loved him then, but if my mother ever thought we weren't listening close enough and, you know, she wanted to get our attention, she says, I'm going to tell your daddy when he gets home. Now, another thing, that would strike what we might call fear in my heart. I, I did not want daddy involved. So I'll go ahead and confess to my mother now. She used to spank us, you know, with the fly flap, which I think is child cruelty, actually, by the way, especially if you've been killing flies with that thing. But she'd spank us with the fly flap. And, and uh, I didn't want Daddy involved, so I learned very quickly to pretend like it hurt. You know, and, and I just confess, Mama, that crying was not really real a lot of the times. I, I just cried because I didn't want Daddy involved. I knew if I played the tough guy and act like it didn't hurt, she'd think I hadn't got the message and uh, would get daddy involved. But the point I'm trying to make with that long drawn out story is that I loved my daddy, but I also had a healthy fear of my daddy. A fear of his authority, a fear of his, yes, punishment if I disobeyed, if I did not do what I was supposed to do. And God is called our heavenly what? Our heavenly Father. He is our Father. And yes, a father is many things. He cares for us. He takes care of us. He provides for our needs. But he also is a disciplinarian. A father is one who is tasked with keeping order. And God is our heavenly father. And it is perhaps not popular, but my friend, God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He never changes. God does not change. So when you read the Old Testament 
and we see, you know, the fire and brimstone rain down on Sodom and Gomorrah, there's not two gods in the Bible. There's not the God of the Old Testament and the God of the New Testament. God is the same. He is always the same. Now, He came and brought us grace through Jesus Christ. And you've heard me preach about this before. And we talk about the cross. And I always point, point people to the cross. If you want to understand the seriousness of sin, then you must look at the cross. When you think about sin, I think about my personal sin, or you think about your sin, understand that the Son of God had to die upon the cross and shed His blood because of sin. The wages of sin is death. So, you know, I think about in Lamentations 2.14, there's a passage that I think brings close attention to this. Here, uh, Lamentations, there's a weeping there about the people of Israel. That's what Lamentations means. It means to weep. And the prophet is weeping about the condition of his nation. And he says, Your prophets have seen for you false and deceptive visions. And listen to this. They have not uncovered your iniquity to bring back your captives, but have envisioned for you false prophecies and delusions. Sometimes we don't like a passage like this because it shows us a side of God we had rather not think about. The God who is holy, the God who judges sin. But my friend, I cannot in good conscience read 1 Corinthians 13 where it talks about love is patient and kind and gentle. I cannot in good conscience read passages that say, I will never leave you nor forsake you if somehow I cover up this page in my Bible and I say, well, that makes me a little uncomfortable. I don't like to think about a God who strikes people dead. I I just don't like to think, you know, we hear it, does God strike people dead? Yes, He does. He has. And He does. God is a God of justice. And God is a holy God. And here in Lamentations, the the prophet says, listen, you've got up for yourself preachers and teachers that, that tell you things that you like to hear and that you enjoy hearing. But here's what those people have not done. They have not uncovered your iniquity. And why did Jesus come to die on the cross? He came to set us free from what? From our sin. What separates us from God? Our iniquity, our sin. So my friend, when we read the Scripture and we think about the Word of the Lord, sometimes the Word of God tells us things that makes us feel uncomfortable. We've got some athletes in here, and some of you that used to be athletes. You think back a long, long time ago, you'll remember it. But there's one thing about being an athlete or being involved in physical training. You have to do things that make you feel uncomfortable. I'll, I'll, I'll call him out. He's here today. and he, he gave a little public testimony Wednesday night. Dr. Polk back there. He's on the back, but I see him. He can't hide. He's back there. Uh, Dr. Polk there, and good to have Gary back with us. We, we all know the situation Gary had, and he was kind of talking about that. You know, we need to try to take care of ourselves and so forth. And... And, uh, you know, Eric was talking about how his wife, as many of our wives do, they encourage us to do the right thing in a positive way, I'm sure, always in a positive way. But, but she was encouraging him to be healthy and to run. You know, to, to run every day. And he says, you know, I wake up in the morning and the last thing I want to do is run. I think, you know, I've got to go to the hospital. I've got all these things to do. 
Who wants to run two miles? Not me. But you know what? It makes him feel uncomfortable. Every fiber in his body says, no, 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 don't do it. Don't do it. But he knows for his own benefit, he must. And all of these physical disciplines, we've got folks here that have college degrees. How many times when you were in college and it got time to go to class, every fiber in your being said, I do not want to go to class. I hate class. I hate the teacher. I hate the girl that sits by me. I don't want to go to class. I hate it. But you know that if you want to attain that degree, you must make yourself do something that is uncomfortable. Something that you don't want to do. Anything we accomplish in life, whether in the academic area, in, you know, in, in, athlete, in athletics, in anything, it is going to require that we expose ourselves to things that make us uncomfortable that we really don't want to do. Spirituality is no different. Listen, if you want to be a weak, flabby Christian, then never read anything in the Scripture that makes you feel uncomfortable. You want to be a weak, flabby Christian, then never listen to anybody on, on Christian television or Christian radio that makes you feel uncomfortable. Now, I'm not saying listen to false doctrine. You, if you see something that doesn't match up with the Word of God, certainly not. But I'm talking about that convicts you. Anytime you get conviction, you, turn, you close that book or you turn that voice off, you're going to be a weak, flabby Christian. You're never going to go anywhere with, with the Lord. And you see, that's exactly what Lamentations is saying. All of these false prophets have not uncovered your iniquity. You know, I, I don't like it when it happens, but I know sometimes when I'm listening to a sermon and it convicts me, if I will submit to that instruction, if I'll submit to that conviction, if I'll let the Lord speak to me, it will make me a better person. It will make me a better Christian. And my friend, that is exactly what was wrong with Ananias and Sapphira. Peter says Satan has filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit. You see, their sin was a sin, and we preached on this when we were going through the Sermon on the Mount. Their sin was basically the sin of hypocrisy. The sin of hypocrisy. Now, I like a couple of quotes that I found. One says, Nothing is more despicable in God's sight than hypocrisy. Play acting, presenting an image of righteousness without reality. This is form without force. Everything in the show window, but nothing on the shelves. That's from Vance Abner. Everything in the show window, but nothing on the shelves. That's convicting. Think about that. How much of your Christianity is in the show window? For everybody to see. And how much of your Christianity is on the shelves where it matters? Another quote, and I love this one. Of course, it's by one of my favorite preachers, Adrian Rogers. But it says, The problem with the hypocrite is that he has been starched and ironed, but never washed. The problem with the hypocrite is he has been starched and ironed, but never washed. Washed. How many of us, we got straight collars spiritually? We don't have a wrinkle. But I tell you, you, you pull that shirt off and it's nasty, it's dirty, it stinks. It stinks. That's the hypocrite. You know, in Matthew 23, uh, there's the famous passage where Jesus 
And by the way, we talk about Jesus being the kind and gentle Jesus. Do you know who Jesus was kind and gentle with? Sinners. I think about the woman caught in the act of adultery. There she is, thrown into the midst, embarrassed, shamed, ridiculed, half-dressed. And, and they say, you know, hey, she's guilty. What do you say do with her? And remember who God is? He's holy. He's just. He must punish sin. And we might think, well, if He's holy and He's just and He's confronted with sin, He's going to bring down the judgment of God on this sinful woman. What did Jesus do? He didn't do anything, which is a good lesson for us. Sometimes we're too quick to speak and to act and to judge. Someone brings something to us. Well, I'll tell you what I'd do. Well, I'll tell you what I'd do if that was me. Be careful. Even Jesus waited. He didn't say anything. He just wrote on the ground. Said nothing. Yeah, he said, he that's without sin, let him cast the first stone. And what happened? Everybody started dropping their rocks and they ran away. And Jesus turned to the woman. He said, woman, where are your accusers? And she said, I have none. And I think perhaps my, one of my favorite passages in all of the New Testament, Jesus said, neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. How gentle Jesus was with this sinful woman. Why? Because she was a sinner. She never pretended to be anything else. That's who she was. That's who everybody knew her to be. That was her identity. What about Zacchaeus? Remember, he jumped up in the tree. See, remember what they said about Zacchaeus when Jesus went to eat with him? It was just a scandal. My goodness, this man is a tax collector. He's a thief. He's a traitor. Everybody knew him for that. He was not a hypocrite. He was just a sinner. He was just, he was just sorry as, as they come. You know, that's who he was. He never pretended to be anything else. Anytime Jesus met a sinner, he was full of grace. The thief on the cross. The thief on the cross. Jesus ushered him into heaven that very day. Jesus is always full of grace with one exception. One exception. And that is when we are so proud and we pretend to be something that we are not, so that we might obtain glory or we might obtain praise. And you look in Matthew chapter 23 in this gracious, kind Jesus, He gives seven woes, seven warnings, if you will. And who does He give them to? We'll just start in verse 13. He says, But woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For you shut up the kingdom of heaven against men. For you neither go in yourselves, nor do you allow those who are entering to go in. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For you devour widows' houses, and for pretense make long prayers. Therefore you will receive a greater condemnation. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For you travel land and sea to win one proselyte, and when he is one, you make him twice as much a son of hell as yourself. Woe to you, blind guides, who say, Whoever swears by the temple, it is nothing. But whoever swears by the gold in the temple, he is obliged to perform it. Fools and blind, which is greater, the gold or the temple that sanctifies the gold? And whoever swears by the altar, it is nothing. But whoever swears by the gift that is on the altar, he is obliged to perform it. Fools and blind, what is greater, the gift or the altar that sanctifies the gift? 
And then verse 23, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you pay tithe of mint and anus and cumin and have neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice and mercy and faith. These you ought to have done without leaving the others undone. Blind guides who strain out a gnat and swallow a camel. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you cleanse the outside of the cup and dish, but inside they are full of extortion and self-indulgence. Blind Pharisee, first cleanse the inside of the cup and dish, that the outside of them may be clean also. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you are like whitewashed tombs that appear beautiful outwardly, but inside are full of dead men's bones and all uncleanness. Even so, outwardly you appear righteous to men, but inside you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. And woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, because you build the tombs of the prophets and adorn the monuments of the righteous and say, if we had lived in the days of our fathers, we would not have been partakers with them in the blood of the prophets. Therefore you are witnesses against yourselves that you are the sons of those who murdered the prophets. Fill up then the measure of your father's guilt. Serpents, brood of vipers, how can you escape the condemnation of hell? Therefore I send you prophets and wise men and scribes. Some of them you will kill and crucify, and some you will scourge in your synagogues and persecute from city to city. Well, and I could go on and on, but I think you get the picture there. This is Jesus. The Jesus who looked at the sinful woman and said, Neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. But yet He looked at these proud, self-righteous Pharisees who were hypocrites. They were starched and ironed, but never washed. The show windows were full, but the shelves were empty. And I have to ask myself, what am I? Do my shelves match my store windows? Is my spiritual clothing clean, or do I just simply worry about does it not have any wrinkles? How does it look? I shouldn't tell you this, but I've done it before. I've had a shirt, had a little stain on it, but I think I'll just wear my jacket and never take it off. You've probably done the same thing. I just won't take my jacket off. Well, spiritually we do that. We know we've got stains. We know we're not who we're claiming to be. But, you know, I'll just keep it covered up. I won't let it show. Now, you notice there in Matthew 23 and, and verse number 14, Jesus said, you will receive the greater condemnation... Jesus is saying that there is a greater penalty for the hypocrite than there is for the person who just simply a sinner. And everybody knows it. That's just who they are. Let me ask you a question. Let's say you get robbed. Which is more serious? Which hurts more? To be robbed by a thief when you're away from home you're on a trip and they break in your front door, they bust the window, they kick in the door, and they bust in your home and, and, and they rob you. They take the things you have. That's, that's hurtful. Makes you mad. Makes you want to find out who did it. And you do find out who did it, and you don't know them. They're just, they're just a, somebody that's addicted to drugs and they're trying to find a quick uh, money, and, and, and they're just a thief. A thief and a liar. Or... You meet a young man or a young woman, you kind of take a liking to them, you bring them into your home, you, 
they're in trouble. You, you get them out of trouble. You invest a lot of money into them. You know, you basically bring them in almost like one of your own. And, and they've got the keys to your house. They have the code to your security gate. I mean, your house is open to them. Your billfold is open to them. You spend money on them. You do all kinds of things for them. And all of a sudden, things go missing. And you try to do an investigation. And you find out that you've been robbed by this person that you brought into your home, that you entrusted, that you embraced, that this person has stolen from you. Which one is more serious? Which one hurts more? We all know. I mean, it's one thing to get robbed by a stranger. That's just who he is. He's a thief. He just soon robbed me as my neighbor. I just happened to be the one he chose. But to be robbed by a person that you have entrusted, that's why Jesus said the hypocrite will have the greater condemnation. Because Jesus has opened up heaven to us. He's given us the Spirit. I mean, we're, we're supposed to be part. Here Ananias and Sapphira were, they were in the church. And yet they lied to the Holy Spirit. They were in the church. And yet, remember the prodigal son? You know, he goes off and he, he, he remembers about home and he comes back. You know, what, what, what would have happened if he would have come back and said, Now, Dad, I'm back. And I hope you've missed me. And I hope you've learned a lesson. How bad it is with me not being here and how you mistreated me when I was here and, and now I'm coming back and I want to get what's mine. Well, see, Ananias and Sapphira, they had that pride. They felt like God owed them something. And so, God brought judgment upon them. Now, I want to make something clear before we stop. I'm not talking about... We can look at ourselves and say, well, am I a hypocrite? You know, I, I did something I shouldn't have done last week. I said something I shouldn't have said. I... I, I, and I know it's wrong. Listen, you're not a hypocrite just because you make a mistake. You're trying to follow Jesus, and we're all going to sin. We're all going to mess up. We're going to say something. We're going to do something that we know God's going to convict us. Remember, the Bible says if we're His children, He's going to discipline us. And He convicts us, and, and we realize, you know what, I shouldn't have done that. You don't need to get discouraged and think, well, you know, I just, I, I'm just going to quit. I'm just going to quit because I don't want to be a hypocrite. I don't want to be a hypocrite. No, listen, listen. As long as you're moving toward Jesus, you may fall a hundred times. You just keep getting up and moving in the same direction and move a little closer. Ask God to forgive you. To be a hypocrite is to deny that you've ever sinned. You see? That's the difference. A person who's honest recognizes they've messed up and they ask God to help them and they, and they ask their brothers and sisters to help them and they move forward. The hypocrite denies he's got a problem. And he just pretends that everything's fine and, and gets mad at you if you mention it to him. I mean, everything's great. And he's not going to change. He's not going to do anything. Now, one more thing I want to say before we finish. Some folks let hypocrites keep them away from church. I think the best story to illustrate this is a farmer who would never come to church. Every time the preacher would talk to him about coming to church, he said, listen, you got hypocrites down there at that church? My goodness. I, tell, I can tell you stories about them, your members down there, all your deacons and Sunday school teachers. Good gracious, you got the worst hypocrites in the world. He said, well, you know, I wish you'd come. He would never come. Well, finally, the, the preacher went to see him one day, and he says, I want to buy, he was a, a hog farmer, he says, I want to buy one of your hogs. He said, all right, preacher, I'll sell you a hog. He carried him out there and he said, well, here's that. He showed him all them good-looking hogs he had. He said, no, no, I don't want that one. He said, you got any more? He had a little run over there, just wormy, runt-looking 
He said, that's the one I want. Preacher, you don't want that hog. That hog there, he won't never, he, that's terrible. No, that's the one I want. He said, no, I, you don't want that. I'm, you don't want, yeah, that's the one I want. That. No, I, I'm buying him. I want that hog. He said, all right, that's the one you want. So he made him a good deal, sold him that little runt. Preacher got him loaded up. He shook hands. He said, well, I appreciate it. He said, well, he said, well what you going to do with that hog? He said, well, I'm going to ride him all over this county. And I'm going to say, you know, Brother Jones, a hog, or Mr. Jones, a hog farmer, this is the kind of hogs he raises over there. <laughs> I bought this hog from him. This is what he said. Oh, hey, that, that ain't fair, preacher. No, that, that ain't fair. Don't do that. He said, really? He said, you're judging my church. You're picking out a couple of runts, you know, a, a couple of wormy runts. And, and you're saying, that's the kind of folks down there at that church. He said, every herd's got some runts in it. Every church has some hypocrites. He said, so you don't judge my church by a couple of runts, and I won't judge your herd by your runt. And that finally got that guy's attention. So listen, you get people together, there's going to be people that don't live up. I mean, the early church. I mean, is there ever a more Holy Spirit-filled church than the church that Peter was pastoring there in Jerusalem. I mean, miracles are being performed. Thousands are being saved. And you got two folks right in the middle of it who are hypocrites. They're lying. They're pretending to be something that they're not. Listen, they're hypocrites right here today. Don't get nervous. I'm not going to call you name. I don't know who you are. But I guarantee you there are hypocrites here, right here in this building, there are some of you whose, shell, whose store windows are full, but your shelves are empty. Your shirt is starched and ironed, but it's never been washed. And you know what we find out in this story after Ananias and Sapphira? I mean, there's no other way to put it. God struck them dead. That's what He did. God struck them dead. And the Bible says great fear. You and I, yes, we love God. We embrace Him. He is a God of love, but never forget, He is a God of of holiness. He's holy and pure. And my friend, if you have a hidden sin, God knows it. And you know that Old Testament passage, be sure your sin will find you out. Be sure your sin will find you out. Whether it's me, you, or anyone else. I don't want to be Ananias. I don't want to be Sapphira. I'd lot rather be the woman caught in the act of adultery because she was on her feet before Jesus. She knew who she was. She knew she was guilty. And all she, her only hope was grace. But a hypocrite, they don't know who they are. They've told the same lies so long they've started believing it themselves. And they think they're the holiest and the greatest and the wisest. And they don't understand like the church in Revelation that thought, boy, I, I'm just the best thing that's ever been. And you remember what Jesus told them? You don't know that you're naked and blind and miserable. You need to buy from me. You need to buy from me gold tried in the fire. You need to understand what true righteousness is. Remember, true righteousness is the righteousness we receive from God. Not a righteousness we make for ourselves. It's the one we receive from God. So, you can lie to me. I wouldn't recommend it, but you can lie to your wife or your husband. But my friend, whoever would lie to the Holy Spirit, God already knows. But that's what you're doing if, you've lived, if you're living one life publicly and another life privately. You're lying to the Holy Spirit. Let's pray.
Father, we come to You in Jesus' name. And Lord, we thank You for the words of comfort that are in Your Scripture. But God, we also thank You for the words of conviction that are in Your Scripture. That all Scripture is inspired by God and inspired by the Holy Spirit. And God, I pray that we would take this story, Lord, that is sometimes not comforting, but Lord, it seems to be troubling to us when we read something like this. But let us remember, Lord, that it is meant to convict us, to warn us of the danger of hidden sin, to warn us of the danger of hypocrisy. And God, we pray, I offer myself up to You and I ask You, God, to search me inside and out. And God, if there is a thought, if there is an action, if there is a motive that is not pleasing to You, I ask You to remove it in the name of Jesus. Lord, I ask You to convict me of anything in my life that is not pleasing to You. I offer myself up to You for Your conviction and Your correction. And God, I pray for every one of your believers or your children that are here today. I pray that you would do the same for all of us. God, convict us where we're wrong. Lord, draw us ever closer to you. Let us know, Lord, that as a father corrects the children he loves, so you as our heavenly Father, you correct those that you love. You correct us because you love us and you want the best for us. And God, I pray that we would yield to that correction. We would be submissive to your spiritual authority. God, I pray if there's one here that doesn't know Jesus, God, that you would draw them to you. Just have your will and way in this invitation. In Jesus' name we pray. As we stand and sing uh, a hymn, I pray that God would speak to your heart this morning. You are welcome to come and pray, and I'll be glad to pray with you. As we stand and sing hymn number. Three, three,